0: God bless you, folks. Wonderful to be with you again. I guess you paid attention to the beautiful words we just sang. Come to the altar. Jesus is calling. As you perhaps know, tomorrow is a time set apart for a whole nation to do that, to call upon the Lord Jesus to pray. It's a national day of prayer. It's a wonderful event, and surely we're in need of it now, perhaps more than ever, But it's a little discouraging to me because many people who will set aside time to pray tomorrow will utter prayers that I think won't be heard. I don't mean to be obnoxious or critical about it, but uh, you have to utter prayers through Jesus, otherwise they go unheard. So says Isaiah, your iniquities, sin, have made a separation between you and your God such that he does not hear your prayers don't you therefore count yourself as a Christian to be a privileged person i want to encourage you to set aside some time tomorrow private time you and the lord to pray knowing that the prayers you uplift to the father through the son are heard he takes it seriously when you a son or daughter come to the altar jesus is calling for you and i to do that all the time but perhaps in this day more than ever so uh, set aside some time tomorrow if you will to join in praying for our nation and for our world as we're called upon to do tomorrow national day of prayer to give you a little help uh, i've memorized 1 peter 3:15 i want to make this the basis of my prayer time tomorrow it says but sanctify christ as lord in your hearts so i want to pray for people like you and i christians that the situation where obligated to endure will have served the purpose of motivating us to sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts more than ever before. And then it says, do this so that you could be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is within you. Don't you find it interesting that God's kids are as subject to the events of the day as those who are not? Uh, but we experience them differently. Uh, Jesus has made a difference. We don't go through times like this without hope. In fact, we're quite hopeful that the Lord Jesus, who is sovereign and good, can use even these somewhat bad times for good. We're filled with hope, and we really, really want the opportunity to talk to others about Jesus, the God of all hope. Would you pray that, therefore, tomorrow, that this marvelous opportunity created by worldwide upheaval, would open the door for us to tell people about the Lord Jesus and how he has given us hope. Pray that tomorrow, if you would. Peter is the one whose words I just quoted to you in 1 Peter 3.15, and Peter, the same one, said some other things I'd like to chat with you about tonight. This is something Peter said. He said, in this, you greatly... Rejoice. And as you look to this little phrase, I hope you, like me, are asking questions like this What is this a reference to? In this, what is it you greatly rejoice? The answer is quite important. Did Paul mean a circumstance, an event, something happening, or was he referencing a reality that had nothing to do with circumstances? a greater reality. In this, he says, you greatly rejoice. Well, that led me to another question. Who is the you Peter is speaking to? Well, Peter made this statement in a letter he wrote, First Peter, and he wrote it, you may know, to believers like you and I. They were scattered throughout a place called Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey. And they were uh, in trouble in some ways like we are. They were a burdened, suffering church. Peter, the pastor, is writing to them, therefore, as a pastor whose intent it is to give suffering Christians, a suffering church, hope in those difficult days. And he describes the people to whom he is addressing his remarks interestingly this way this is what he says it's in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 1 those who reside as aliens they reside in uh, Asia Minor they lived physically in different places but though they resided there physically They really had an identification with a different kind of a world. They were citizens of heaven. Therefore, they were strange and aliens, even in the place where they resided. They, like every Christian, had two locations. One was physical for them. They resided in Asia Minor, and their spiritual location was that they were in Christ. And their in-Christness actually caused them difficulties with the people amongst whom they resided, because they thought differently than those who were there. Their citizenship values and thoughts were entirely different, and in some cases it caused friction and conflict, and as a result, they were being persecuted. They resided here, but their citizenship, you see, was elsewhere, and so they're suffering. And Peter, therefore, forms remarks to them so as to give them hope. Uh, but first, he really, really acknowledges their suffering, and so this is what he says. It's in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So here is Peter, the pastor, uh, being honest with the people to whom he is writing, and he is essentially saying to them the Christian life is not a bowl of cherries, and it's not always characterized by smooth sailing. In fact, the Christian life, the normative Christian life, is kind of a, uh, a combination of uh, good times and bad. It's a time of um, gladness, and therefore he talks about rejoicing, But it's also a time of sadness, and therefore he talks about being distressed by various trials. This is the nature of the Christian life. There's the ebb and flow of both events. He told them there's something about which they could greatly rejoice, uh, but in the midst of the reality of living here, there are many things that are going to burden them, afflict them, and hurt them. And interestingly, in the Christian life, you'll see in just a few minutes, the gladness Paul talks about can persist even during times of sadness because the gladness, you'll see, has nothing to do with events or circumstances of the day. The gladness, the cause for rejoicing, doesn't have to do with what happens. That's the root of happiness. You're happy if good things happen. Happen, and you're unhappy if they don't, but gladness is something that can see you through, that can persist even times of real stress and distress. You see this word? Uh, though uh, Peter is talking to them about a reason for greatly rejoicing, he's surely not denying the fact in this life there are times of great distress. In the original language, that means a period of time of Deep emotional pain. You perhaps are feeling that right now. Please don't exclude yourself uh, from the grace and mercy of God if you are. Don't think you're on the outs with him if you're struggling, even with great distress. Apparently, that's part of the normative Christian experience. I remember when I was a fairly new Christian memorizing this verse, Romans 8:18, 8, the words of Paul, he said, "For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so Paul, in speaking of trials here, says two things about them. Here's the first, for a little while. So whatever trials we experience here, and they are diverse and manifold, they have a shelf life. And when you... um, When you compare them to eternity, uh, uh, the writer here, Peter, Paul elsewhere, says, relatively speaking, what we endure here is temporary. We only endure it for a little while, and in light of eternity, it will be worth it all. I remember reading this uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Why not? Well, though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction, you say, oh my goodness, the writer has a lot of nerve to call my suffering momentary and light. But don't you see, in light of eternity, it really is. Momentary light affliction, it's not for naught, is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, news, reports, and all the rest, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. Whatever you can see and that affects you now, by definition, is passing. But the things which are not seen, don't you see, they're eternal, so Paul, excuse me, Peter, the realist, is sharing with a suffering church. Of course, there are trials, but notice, they have two characteristics. One, they last for a little while. And then here's the second characteristic of the trials, even Christians experience. They only come, if necessary. Now look at that. If necessary, by whose judgment? Well, by our fathers. A God never afflicts his people needlessly. You can know if you're going through something weighty, something quite disturbing, if it's depressing you in various ways, you could know by definition that is not a needless affliction, but that your father intends to use it for a good purpose, if necessary. And if you're honest adversity and trials, sadly, are more necessary than we think. How do you do when things are going smoothly with you? How do you and the Lord do? I wonder if you're like me, when in times of adversity, I find myself clinging to God for blessing, then I realize, oh my goodness, the adversity is necessary, isn't it, Lord, so that I turn my eyes upon Jesus. I look full in his wonderful face. Have you heard of Martin Luther, a great theologian? He made this profound statement. He said, affliction is the best book in my library. Even King David, way back in Psalm 119, said things like this. He said, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. In another place, he actually said, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes, that I might value God's words of hope and comfort and guidance. And guidance." And so you see, Peter is comforting a suffering church by telling them, even in the midst of this all, notice these trials are not eternal. They have a shelf life. And number two, they're necessary in order for God not to destroy, but to develop and to conform us more into his likeness. And so Peter is able to give hope to this suffering church and even to us today by making this statement, in this, no matter what's going on, you still greatly rejoice. So we haven't answered the question, uh, what is the this in which Peter exhorts them to rejoice? Well, let's get into it. Look what he says, verse three, blessed be the God and Father Of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, not merit on our part, his great mercy, has caused us to be, here I love these words, born again. God caused us to be newly begotten. We were born and inherited a horrific sin nature, but God it's by his great mercy, not our merit, has caused us to be born again to what? Well, a living hope. Now, why do we have a living hope even in the midst of difficult times? Well, because we have a living Savior. See, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so no matter what is happening to us today and when it will end and what life will be like and all the rest, Please know with assurance it cannot interfere with the living hope we have in Christ by his great mercy because the living hope is backed up by our resurrected living Savior. So all this began once again by God's great mercy. And one of the things, therefore, that we can greatly rejoice in no matter what is that we've been born again. Do you know now? you and I are participants in an entirely new life. We have not been renovated. We've been regenerated. We are not a better product, a, a, better, a better image of what we used to be. We're new. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old has passed away. Behold, new things have come. And by virtue of the born-again experience, which we cannot forfeit, Peter is able to say, even to a suffering church, in this, you must greatly rejoice. Well, there's more to it than even that. Here it is in the next verse. Peter says, all this to obtain an inheritance, which is a few things. It's imperishable, It is undefiled and it will not fade away. In fact, it's reserved in heaven for you. That's what it says. So Peter is furthermore saying you're not just born again. There's a reservation, a reservation for you in a new place called heaven, and the character of heaven is unlike anything you've ever experienced here on earth. In fact, Peter here describes heaven not in terms of what it is, but in terms of what it ain't. He's saying the world is subject to being, um, to an imperishable quality. It, it is not undefiled, and it will fade away, but heaven is not Different. It is eternal. It will not not diminish in the pleasure it gives. It is solid. Everything this world is about, the one which is part of our inheritance is not. And Paul is saying, Don't you see, in this you can greatly rejoice. Now I love this word, reserved in heaven. So even at the risk of uh, uh, seeking to impress you with my knowledge of Greek, I still want you to get in on this. That verb tense is something called the perfect tense. This word reserved—that's the perfect tense. And I'll tell you what it means. You know, in English we have tenses: past, and present, and future. So too in Greek, the language in which this was written. Whenever I find a perfect tense in studying the New Testament. I go crazy because the perfect tense is pregnant with huge meaning and encouragement. Here's what it means. It means something took place in the past, but it doesn't end there. It has an enduring quality. It persists uh, through the present and on into the future. And so what happened in the past is that Almighty God, by his mercy, made a reservation, think about it, in heaven, not at a good restaurant, which would be really cool, but this is so much better. He made a reservation for you and I, believers in the Lord Jesus, in heaven. And that was a past thing he did. He did that sometime in the past. But the reservation he made perfect tense, has an enduring quality so that we can count on it. No matter what happens between that event and the time when we actually make it to heaven, no matter what intervening events, difficult that they may be, still we are insured of our place in heaven. God wrote this in the perfect tense. What he did in the past has enduring results which persist into the future. And therefore, Paul, Peter could say, in this you could greatly rejoice. You've been born anew and you're heirs of an eternal kingdom which cannot perish. It will not fade away. Ah, It's even reserved in heaven for you. And wait, there's more. Look at this. Who are protected... So first we read about our inheritance being reserved and now we read about us, the ones who will inherit it, being preserved. We are protected, how? By the power of God. In verse three we read about the mercy of God. Here is the power of God. Our Father has wonderful perfections. He's perfectly merciful and he's the almighty and he uses all those to bear on Good things with regard to his kids like you and I. We're protected by the power of God through faith. Faith, confidence in him opens the door for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Folks, uh, Satan, I think, would love to rob us uh, of our uh, confidence in God and certainly of our inheritance not to worry. We're being protected by the power of God, he who is far greater even than the evil one, for a salvation, not that has to be accomplished. Oh no, it's already been accomplished. Remember when Jesus said, in dying, it is finished. Our salvation is already a done deal. It only waits to be revealed fully. We wait not for the accomplishment of our salvation, but for the consummation of it. And folks, it could be at any time Jesus could return if he so chooses at any particular time. All we're doing is waiting for the revealing or the unveiling of our salvation. It's only being delayed, I think, now, not because God is slack with regard to the fulfillment of his promises, but he wants, even through ones such as us, to be made known to those who don't yet know him. You see, we're his representatives here on earth, and by mercy, he not only has saved us, but he's kept us here so that through us he could save others and in all these things therefore no matter what's happening Peter says we can greatly rejoice there was a man named Fyodor Dostoevsky perhaps in school you've read some of his great literature wonderful Russian novelist well the czar at the time didn't think he was so hot he had him arrested and he was going to be shot while languishing in jail, Dostoevsky heard about a cruel game this horrifically evil czar would play with those who were held captive. Oftentimes, he would call for the time of their execution. They would stand before outdoors before the firing squad, you see. They would be blindfolded, and then the order would be given uh, for them to be shot, and those with the guns would deliberately miss. They would shoot up, and then the czar would laugh at the agony which was experienced by these who thought for sure they would die. Well, Dostoevsky didn't only hear about this. There came a day when he actually, sadly, experienced it, and he wrote about it. He said, I knew this was my last morning, my last Breakfast, my last meaningful conversation with anybody. The last time I would see the sunlight and feel its warmth on my skin, there he was before the executioners blindfolded. The order was given to shoot, and they did this cruel thing again. They deliberately raised their rifles high so as not to kill Dostoevsky and when he finished he said that was a transforming event in his life he was never the same from that day forward he lived differently he lived said he with great thanksgiving and great gratitude he knew he was ready for death he stared it right in the face and for some reason it was kept from him and he lived differently what about you and me do you know this verse for the wages of sin is death We faced if you will the firing squad and we deserved to receive it and to perish We have offended an intensely holy God We like sin we take it for granted God does not you see he's very very holy He's been offended by us as sinners and the justifiable sentence upon us would be to die. But Jesus came and Jesus died for us. Oh, I hope that never becomes commonplace for you. Jesus took our place, a substitute on the cross for sin, not his, he had none. For ours, we had plenty. And he did say, paid in full, it is finished. We faced death, if you will. We looked it right in the eye. And the executioner, the judge of all who had the right to take our lives, essentially granted us an acquittal. He said, case dismissed. And folks, I hope, therefore, that uh, dismissal of the death sentence has the same kind of effect on us as it did on Dostoevsky. I hope we live life now with more gratitude and thanksgiving, with more rejoicing than ever before, no matter what's happening around us. No, no, in this, my fellow Christians, uh, as Peter says, we are to greatly rejoice. We've been born anew. We're privy to a new life. It's entirely different. We've been regenerated. Secondly, we have an inheritance in heaven. I don't know what uh, the immediate future holds for us, and it appears. Uh, that the experts don't either but i know ultimately our future is pretty bright by god's great mercy we have a place reserved for us in heaven it's an imperishable place where joy will not ever fade away and folks in this also we can greatly rejoice the death do me fell upon the shoulders of the lord jesus christ who deserved it not an innocent one for guilty ones like you and I, and no events in this day can alter, interfere with, or nullify those cosmic, lofty, overarching truths. So no matter what, dear folks, because of these things, no matter what else is happening, you and I could heed Peter's words, in this we can greatly rejoice. And that's our prayer Almighty God, that our eyes would be directed to the truths which characterize us, no, not as residents here, but as citizens of a heavenly place. And I pray that reality would so inform us and affect us here that there would be those around us who ask us to make a defense for the hope that is in us. Thank you that regardless of what happens in the eternal truths Peter has so well declared to us by your grace, in these things we can greatly rejoice. May it be true of us in this time and in all times until the time when we are with you forever. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.